Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Can I invite you to take out and open up your Bible with me, if that's all right? And just to say, like last week, if you don't have your own Bible with you or you don't have a Bible yet, you can just quickly put up your hand. We have got some Bibles that we can give to you. And if you can just be so kind, just have your hand up. You can just give them back to us at the end. And the reason is because in Doxedo Hatfield, we are passionate about the Bible. Now, we are in week two of our new sermon series that we are doing together with the whole Doxa family globally, and it's called Monday Morning Atheist. And is it not true that very often we celebrate God on a Sunday, and then we switch off God on a Monday? And what happens is then we enter into our work life, and we said your work life is not just for those who have an eight to five. All of us have a calling. All of us have a vocation. You are a mom or a dad. You're a brother or a sister. You are a business owner. You work for someone. You are a volunteer at a nonprofit or a church. You are a student or a scholar. Each and every single one of us have got a work life. And we enter into that work life on a Monday morning disconnected from the source of joy and of purpose and of meaning, we are practically atheists. And so last week we laid the foundation, and I really want to encourage you, if you missed that, that's kind of the foundation for the rest of the sermon series together. So please go onto our website, get that sermon, or use your favorite podcast platform, look for Dr. Hadfield. And we said that we see in the Bible that from the get-go, it's not the result of sin or the fall or brokenness, but actually calling, vocation, work is part of God's good calling upon our life. It's part of his good design. And so we encouraged each other to say that we can actually reconnect to God in our workspaces by connecting with his passion, with his excellence, and with his servant's heart. And when we do that, every single day, 24-7, we are bringing glory to God, and we are bringing goodness to those around us. So we said that whether you are a painter, programmer, poet, or plumber, or a salesman, singer, scientist, or secretary, or whether you're a manager, mechanic, mathematician, or medical rep, we should all be serving God passionately connected to Him with our passion and excellence and His servant heart. And so over the next three weeks, from that foundation, what we're going to do is just every week look at one misconception that we have about our work life. One way of viewing what I do as part of my vocation does not line up with who God is, and that threatens to disconnect us from that source of light Monday to Saturday. And the reason why that's so important, if you're wondering, is because, guys, just hear me this morning when I say that the way you think determines the way that you live. My view of my world determines the way that I think. That deep-seated conviction that you have that voice that you listen to when you wake up in the morning, the narrative or the story that drives your life about what's important and what isn't, about what's valuable and what isn't, those are the things that actually lead us to live in a certain way. I was so just blessed just hearing last week with the Springboks winning the World Cup, still buzzing on that, and just listening to the interview with Rasi, the coach, and Sia Khaleesi, our captain, speaking to the press, and them saying, listen, we went into this final with a conviction, with a voice, with a narrative in our hearts that went as follows. We know that our country is facing some really steep challenges at the moment. 
But something in us has sunk into our hearts to say that in this moment, for these 80 minutes, we can be bearers of good hope for our country. And you can see how that just invigorated them. Just thinking on the other side of the spectrum, just a tragic moment I had the other day going to work. And I see this vagrant next to the street and he's holding this big sign. He's actually hiding behind it. This shameful posture that he's taking in. And on the sign, before he asks for help, he's written out. He says, I know that I am just a piece of trash. Afrikaans says, ek weet ek is het een stuk gemors. Is what he wrote on his sign. And then he continues on to say, please help me. It's this heart-wrenching moment for me. Because I realize for this poor man, it has been drilled into his heart that he is worth nothing. That he is nothing. And that he is going into nothingness. There's a narrative at work there. See, Dr. William Beckers in his book, Telling Yourself the Truth, he says, if you tell yourself something enough times and in the right circumstances, you will believe those words, whether true or not. What you think and believe determines how you feel and what you do. And so my simple question to us this morning is, what is the narrative that's driving your work life? What is the conviction when it comes to your eight to five, whatever your vocation is, whether you are at home or whether you're in a kitchen or whether you're in a business or in a nonprofit, what is the narrative that's driving your thoughts with regard to your work? And can we just maybe this morning just have this one idea and we'll just break it into two parts. That's all we're going to do this morning. Can we agree with this statement? The way that I view the world determines how I will live in the world. The way that I view the world determines the way that I live in the world. Can we agree on that this morning? Your work at the moment is exactly what you wanted in here and in here. It's determining the way that I tackle it. And so can we just take a look at those two parts, just the living and the thinking, the, the viewing and the walking. Those are the focus areas for this morning. And so to think about how you think about your work. Simple question for you this morning. Just answer me this. In the week that's gone by in your life, what percentage would you say of your week was spiritual? Simple question. The past week that you've had, what percentage of your week would you say was spiritual? Now, I wonder if anyone here is going to say 100%. But I want to challenge you, if you are a Christian, you should say that. You should say that. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, he says this, 1 Corinthians 1 or 10 verse 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink, or, and then that same word from last week, or whatever you do, just say the word whatever. No, say it with passion, whatever, whatever you do, do everything. Say the word everything. Say it with passion. Everything. Do everything to the glory of God. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying there is a way to love, a way to lead. There's a way to study. There's a way to play and recreate. There is a way to work where every single second of my life is spiritual where every single square inch of my life is spiritual. That is what he is calling 
us to. In fact, I love how Jesus prays before his crucifixion. Don't you think he would pray if he knew what you and I are facing, the kind of office that you have, the kind of life that you have, the kind of kids maybe that you have or spouse that you have, that Jesus would say, man, this life is so tough. It's so broken. It's so hopeless. Father, I just pray that you would just take these poor disciples of mine, just take them straight to heaven because we can't bear this world. It's just too much. And guess what he prays? This is what he prays. John 17, verse 15. I am not praying that you would take them out of this world. Verse 16, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world, but sanctify, change, transform them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me, Father, into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus is not rubbing your shoulders at the office door and saying, no, poor, poor boy, let's go back to church on Sunday. He's saying, no, I have sent you into that office. I've sent you into that home. I've sent you into the university. I've sent you into that commune. You are not of this world, but yes, you are sent into this world. And what you need and what I need is we need a sanctified mind. We need a transformed mind. We need to hear what God is saying and say, God, come and challenge the deepest convictions that I hold about my work and my life. Now, can I give you two examples of that? Two things that I think we need to have our views of what is spiritual and what is not challenged. Because I see these all the time. In fact, I'm often caught in them myself. The first thing is that I think very often we think there are spiritual places and spiritual times in my week, and then there are secular, unspiritual places and unspiritual times of my week, right? And so probably this morning, if I were to ask you, are you just feeling, you know, that you are engaged in a spiritual moment of your week, you would say yes. When I walk into church, that is my spiritual engagement with the week, But then when I enter into the office of my home, when I'm doing spreadsheets and budgets, or when I'm making food for my kids, or when I'm studying for that test or exam, then I'm doing unspiritual things. In fact, I'll never forget Lorraine, one of my colleagues, uh, back in Dr. Bloom, he would always wear this fedora, this hat of his, he loved that hat. And this one morning walking into church with his hat on, as he would always, this older gentleman, very You know, it's almost like this bull running straight at him. He grabs him, literally, and he says, how dare you wear a hat in the holy house of the Lord? How dare you do that? See, for that guy, when he stepped into church that morning, when he entered those beautiful uh, studio doors of ours, he stepped into a holy place, a sacred place, a spiritual place. And the moment you step out of it, the moment you leave this place this morning again, you will enter back into your normal life, your unspiritual life, your your not sacred space. We we actually once, I started out in ministry doing video as well and and media. And so we we once made this video about the ultimate gift, the Jesus, the gift, this, you know, Christmas series. And so we went and shot a video in the mall and we shot it in this one, you know, clothing 
shop and when the video played, we were so proud of it. We had put so much time and effort into this video. And that Monday, Tomu led the church. He gets this snotty email from this older lady. And she says, you know, because she had like, where's Wally level accuracy looking at this video frame by frame? Because even me as the editor, I did not notice this. But for one split second in the video, as you look past the lady who's the main character in this video, in the back, right at the back, there's a t-shirt in the shop that has a pentagram on it. And this lady was furious. How do we desecrate the holy house of God with such filth? Why? Because there are sacred places and moments, and there are secular places and moments. Now contrast that to what the Bible says. Psalm 72 says, Blessed be His glorious name forever, the whole earth. Does it say some of the earth, most of the earth, a good chunk of the earth? It says the whole earth is filled with His glory. There's a million passages like this, but Isaiah 6 is the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Do you hear that, friends? A church is as or less sacred as your study. It's as sacred as your kitchen. It's as sacred as your office. It's as sacred as the sports field that you walk onto because... It's not the place itself, it's the posture that I take when I'm there. That's what makes it spiritually significant. Do you know that you can sit here this morning and have absolutely zero spiritual significance in your heart? And you can walk into, I'm just thinking of Hanu, who just literally had to go to work right now. He has a moment right now to enter into his job with greater spiritual significance than you and I sitting here. Because it's not the place, it's the posture. It's the approach. I can enter into my office with an absolute conviction that it's filled with the glory of God. I love what Romans eleven thirty six says about Jesus. It says, so for from him and through him and to him are all things. Not some things, not most things, not a couple of things, but all things are for Jesus and from Jesus and to Jesus. So that means that wherever, whatever, wherever in my life I am honoring Jesus as king, whether I'm in my study, in my kitchen, in my office, or on the sports field, when Jesus is made king in my heart in that moment, that is a deeply sacred and spiritually significant moment. It's not about the place or the moment. It's about the posture that I take. Is Jesus being raised up as the highest one in that moment? Because if that's the truth, then that is a deeply spiritual moment. But I think more than that, it's not just that we often think people and times are spiritual or unspiritual. I think, and this is even more scary, I think we think certain people and certain vocations are spiritual and others are sacred or secular. We think certain people have spiritual callings and certain people have unspiritual callings. Some people are called to do sacred things and some of us are called just to do secular things. I'll never forget this. One of our occupational therapists in Dr. Bloom, Jessica, she would always, from the reference that she had, initially as our kind of journey with her started, every time she would introduce me to someone she would say, guys, you know, so-and-so, this is Joe. He is the minister of our church. 
He's the minister. Yes, that irritated me to no end. I didn't say it out loud, but yo, that was like a stab wound in my heart. Why? Because in her mind, I'm not saying it's, you know, there's nothing against her, but in her mindset, I was the minister. Why? Because I am paid to do the ministry, right? I'm a professional Christian. I get a salary to build the kingdom of God, to bring people into a reconciled relationship with Jesus, to make sure that we go out and we change the city and that spiritual lostness and social pain and systemic brokenness, that those things are addressed. That's my job because I am the minister. Now hear what the Bible says. Ephesians 4 verse 11 says, And he himself, speaking about the leaders in the church, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? So that they would do the work of ministry. Oh no, it says equipping the saints. That's all of us, friends. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. He's saying, yes, there are pastors and teachers and evangelists. They are called to equip the doctors and teachers and moms and baristas and plumbers, and electricians, to equip them for the work of ministry. You guys are the front line of the church. In fact, you're the whole line. I don't know how it works, you know. I'm not, I'm not astute in army terms, but if there's a line and a back line and a front line, you're all the lines. You guys are the church. You guys are the kingdom in the city. I'm not the minister. We are the ministers of Jesus. One of my good friends, he's a chartered accountant here in Pretoria. But when he started studying, we grew up together and we studied together. And he was a, he was a wild guy. He was selfish and he was careless and he was a womanizer. And then Jesus came into his life so powerfully during his studies. He was absolutely transformed. But one of the first things, I'll never forget this long struggle that he had with this idea. He had this golden phrase. I've heard this so often from young people especially. Now I want to do something for God with my life. You heard that? I want to do something for God. I want to count for God. And so now I can't study, you know, accountancy anymore because I want to do something for God. So I think I'll just leave my studies and I'll start studying theology and I'll become a pastor because then I can do something for God. Friends, that is the most backward thinking that we can ever apply. Because it's not about calling. It's not the quality of our vocations. Listen to what it says in Romans 12. It says, now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, It doesn't say all the parts don't have the same value, don't have the same calling. No, it says all the parts have different functions. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. And then he says in verse 6, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Do you hear that? Different gifts, not different callings, not different purposes. We have different gifting. So if you have been gifted to be a plumber, electrician, or poet, or pastor, or whatever it is, then you are being the body of Christ out there. Do you know how absolutely ineffective it would be to hire a thousand pastors and put us all in a building together and think we're going to change the city? We won't. Because you are connected to the people of the city, not me. I've got a very small sphere of influence. 
But you, sitting just here this morning, represent thousands of people in our city. We here are connected to the spiritual lostness, to the social pain, and to the systemic brokenness of Pretoria. And God is saying, I've called you. I've called you to the very same vocation as Joe. But you have a different function. You have a different skill set. You have a different gifting. We're doing the same thing, just in different spaces. We are all building the kingdom. Is that your mindset? You get excited about the end of church on a Sunday, not because I'm done talking, but because you can't wait to get back into the city. We said last week, we don't think anymore, you know, like Gareth Cliff would say, it's the weekend, baby. Are we at that place where we say, I, you know, thank God it's Monday because now I go and get to be the church because I'm called as a doctor. I'm called as a mom. I'm called as an electrician. I'm called as a student. I am called to do what I do. How you think will determine how you live. So let's look at that practically. What does that mean then? That's some of the thinking. That's some of the worldview. But what does that look like practically? Craig Rochelle, he's the leader of the biggest church in America, Life Church. And he's, I've heard him a couple of times telling this very significant story where he says in the beginning years of ministry, he would be so stressed out about preaching that every single time before going on stage, he would be in his office and he would throw up in his little dustbin. It's like, and then he says, then I'm ready to go. And then he goes and he preaches. And he says eventually, he makes a bit of a joke about now he just throws up in his mouth and he just swallows it and it's fine. But that's just a joke. But he says what actually changed is he was led to start doing this little ritual in a sense. It's a moment of just connecting with God. He says just before he's about to go on, he literally physically takes a step forward. He says obviously that looks very strange to everyone like in the church. Like why is he doing that? But he says, in that moment, as I'm physically stepping forward, I am spiritually stepping into my calling. I'm stepping away from the voices who say, you're not good enough. You're not called to this. You're not prepped. You're not the man. You're not the guy that God has chosen to do this. You are a failure. You're insignificant. You can't do this. He says he steps away from that and he steps into what God says, that I have called you, that I have commissioned you, that I have actually set you apart for this step into your calling. And what I want to challenge us this morning, we spoke last week about passion and excellence and servant heart. I want to challenge us this morning, practically, every single time you step into the theater, every single time you step into the office, every single time you step into the kitchen, every single time you step into your commune, that you would step into the following, serving, sharing, and seeking. That we would be a people who serve, who share, and who seek in every second of our life. So the first thing is this. I want us to step into tomorrow morning saying, God, it's Monday. Because I get to step into serving others consciously. Serving others consciously. Friends, this will not happen by accident. It won't. When I step into my office or into my home, I say, God, switch me on so that I would serve other people, that I would serve my colleagues, that I would serve the city, that I would serve society by what I've been given to do. First Peter 14 says, just as each of you has received a gift, you have a gift, friend, just as you've received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the variety graces of God. 
So whether you have received the, the gifting of accountancy, the gifting of finances, the gifting of speaking positively, the gifting of noticing people's heartbreak, the gifting of prayer and faith, the gifting of working hard and grafting, the gifting of vision, serve the people in your office, in your home, and in your life with that Let's just speak about your colleagues for a moment, just the people around you, the, the, the fellow student or scholar, the, the person in your home. You know, we often in this church, if you are in community, you're going to find that when you go through a difficult time, you are going to have this band of brothers and sisters that just come alongside you. They're going to bring food, and they're going to pray, and they're going to help, and they're going to laugh with you and cry with you. They are going to stand with you because that's what we do in community in the church, right? I want to challenge us that we would serve our colleagues in exactly the same way we would serve our fellow brothers and sisters in the church. Whether they are agnostic or atheist or Muslim or Buddhist or Jewish, it doesn't matter. We're saying that if someone in my office is going through a difficult time, I will bring food. I will be there. I will help them move. I will make sure that they are fed and encouraged. I will make sure that they are not alone. I will watch Netflix with them. I will encourage their kids and take them out to have a bit of a breather. I will serve the people of my office exactly the way I would serve the people in the church. What you have been given, gift people with that. But also, it's not just serving the people around me in my office or in my commune. It's also doing my work, doing my studies, doing life in such a way that it's a blessing to the city, to the people around us. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, if God's purpose for you, um, for your job, is that you serve the human community, then the way to serve God best is to do the job as well as it can be done. Do I go into my work life on a Monday, whatever it is, thinking, God, I am going to do this to the very best of my abilities? Because when I do that, I serve the city, I serve society, I serve the people of Pretoria. Skillful work is pleasing to Jesus. Honest work is pleasing to Jesus. Selfless work is pleasing to Jesus. I love it. There's this IT company in India. And they've set up shop amongst uh, an unreached group of people in that massive country. And on their website, listen to what it says about them. They say, this is our purpose. This is our, this is our heart. They say, our purpose is to serve our customers with creativity, with innovation, with reliable top quality solutions. It's to serve our employees with meaningful and challenging work, with stability, with good salaries, with development and a pleasing work environment. It's to serve our stakeholders by providing attractive returns on their investments. It's to serve our country by creating knowledge and wealth and contributing to local concerns. It's to serve society by showing that success and high moral standards can coexist. And it's to serve ultimately God and his kingdom by being faithful and good stewards. This company gets it. I have been called to serve. And I will serve others consciously, day in, day out. But not just that. Can I ask us to step into not just serving consciously, but sharing good news constantly. Sharing good news constantly. Friends, Jesus' people are people not of good moral standards. They're not people of good ideas. They're not people of good practices. They are people of good news. 
we are not clever. We're not better than anyone. But we have this deep-rooted good news that has transformed us, and we live it out. And can I encourage us, friends, that in your office or in your commune, in your class, there are thousands of people who are living according to a different story. In fact, from the beginning, we can see that work has flipped around in the heart of mankind. And we don't serve God and steward our work. We serve, we worship our work, and we steward God on Sundays. And I look to my work, I look to my vocation to find security, to find significance, to find success. And so I grind myself to the bone to climb the ladder, to make my way. It's like in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. They're trying to do this magnificent thing, and they say, we will make a great name for ourselves. And instead of saying, God, you've gifted me with grace, and I'm going to serve you passionately, I'm saying my work as a doctor or as a teacher or as whatever is to make my name great, and I will find success, and I will find significance. I will find an identity. And when my work is shaken, it's not that I just have a loss of income. I have a loss of self, of identity, of purpose. Everything that I am falls apart because I am my work. I worship my work. Friends, 90% of the people in the city of Pretoria are living according to that mantra. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people say about me. And here's the beautiful thing. You sit right next to them. You work right alongside them. You serve right next to them. To them and listen to what Jesus says over you and I this morning. Second Corinthians 5:19, he says, In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. He's not counting their trespasses, our sins are brokenness against them. No, he has committed the message of reconciliation, being reconciled to our Father, to us. That's huge. Not to Joe, not to the minister, to us together. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Do you feel that mantle when you walk into the office? I am an ambassador for Christ. And God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In the way that I live, in the way that I work, in the way that I budget, in the way that I project, in the way that I serve and teach and write and study and parent and friend, I am being an ambassador for Christ. I cannot help but speak about and live out this good news message. The city of Pretoria needs an army of plumbers and poets and programmers and pediatricians who say, I am sent with the message of reconciliation into my work. And finally, my time is finished. To seek God constantly. Just this one thought. We think, man, but I'm in such a dead-end job. Nothing about what I do is exciting. Or, you know, what you're saying today, Joe, it sounds like it's amazing. What I do is not amazing. You should come and see how medial, how frustrating, how irritating my work is. Can I just encourage you with what Abraham Kuyper said? He was this great theologian, and at one stage he was the prime minister of the Netherlands, and he said this famously, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. Mine. 
There is not a single thing in life, in the universe, in your vocation over which Jesus potentially does not say, that is mine. And all that I want to encourage you with is in a season where you feel, I don't know if this is what I should be doing. I don't know if this is purposeful. I don't know if it's helping. Is to find and seek God in that moment. Where can the kingdom come in that moment? What is God saying? What is he doing? What is he whispering? What is he at work with? Esther in the Old Testament, she's thrust into the situation. And Mordecai, a family member, says this to her. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for a time such as this. Doctors, plumbers, teachers, moms, dads, can I say this morning, maybe you have been chosen such for a time and a city such as this. Can I find and seek God in every moment of my life? Now, let's end off this morning. There's this moment in the movie 300, and I'm not going to play you the whole movie because they would not be very Christ-like. Just give me a second. Um, There's this moment in this movie where these guys are going out. The Spartans are about to go to war to the Persians, and they only have 300 men with them. And they're going to go and meet this, this unmatchably big army, And on their way there, they are confronted with some old friends who say they want to join the battle. And just check this out with me. Daxos, what a pleasant surprise. This morning's full of surprises, Leonidas. We've been tricked. Okay, more than a few hundred. This is a surprise. Silence! This isn't an army. We heard Sparta was on the warpath. We were eager to join forces. If it is blood you seek... Welcome to join us. But you bring only this handful of soldiers against Xerxes? You see, I was wrong to expect Sparta's commitment to at least match our own. Doesn't it? You, there. What is your profession? I'm a potter. And you, Arcadian, what is your profession? Sculptor, sir. And you? Blacksmith. Spartans! What is your profession? You see, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. Now just reset that scene for a moment. And I give you on the one side doctors and painters and moms and dads and electricians. And on the other hand, you have this whole auditorium full of pastors and preachers and evangelists. And we say, yes, here are the holy men. Luckily, they're going to go to war. And I want to tell you this morning is when I look over the city changers sitting in front of me here, I want to challenge us when you wake up tomorrow morning to ask yourself this question, what is your profession? Because if I understand that correctly and I see the pastors and I see the preachers, I will know, yes, old friend, I have brought more city changes than you did. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just pray for for every heart this morning to be invigorated again with their calling and to know, God, that you have chosen us, that you've called us, that you've commissioned us. And God, help us to serve you, God. Help us to just share through heart and through speech, God, and help us to find you, seek you out in every second, every inch of our work. 
in Jesus' name, to your glory and to the goodness of the people of Pretoria. Amen. Amen. So to finish off this morning, we said that in this series, we're going to end off every sermon just with two or three minutes of hearing this practically lived out in someone's life. And so last week, we had our first City Changer interview with Nicholas and just hearing what that looks like in his life. And so this morning, we are going to hear a bit of a City Changer story from our good friend Wayne over there. And so can we give him a hand as he's going to come and sit down here just with me, and we're going to hear something of his story of City Change. Just getting onto the, the very famous City Changer set here. Um, it's, it's decked out, as you can see. So, just a quick bit of word, and then at the end, we're going to pray together once again. I'll just warn Melissa this time from the get-go. Last week, I got a bit of a, a stink eye from Tash there. Um, so, Wayne, tell us about yourself. Who are you, and what do you do for a living? Wayne Lotter, and my company's name is ECG Tech Electrical. So, as the name states, we do electrical work. And tell us, what would you say, what are some of the most challenging, and then some of the most uh, rewarding parts of your work? Well, rewarding, would, I would say, is um, finishing an, an installation, switching on the lights, seeing everything go on, everything's working. That's, that's quite rewarding. Um, something that's also rewarding for me is when I leave a place, I leave it in a better state than when I came there. Um, challenging, I would say, definitely working with people, staff. Um, I love... Doing work, but working with people, that's a, that's a challenge. Would anyone agree with that? It's like people are just the most difficult part of your work. So everyone's like, yes, yes. Wires are one thing. People are something completely different. But in that then, um, and I think for some of us, this is so great to hear. Again, we said last week, no one has this figured out, friends. We have to figure this out together in your workspace. So let's just hear uh, Wayne's wrestling at the moment. This is how far he is with it. Wayne, what would you say? What does it look like to bring God into your workspace? Well, for me, it's, um, it comes to honesty. Um, when I do invoicing, I need to be honest and uh, charge a fair charge. You know, it's uh, something that if you get into a roof and you see, okay, it's just a little wire, not to tell the people, but it's this and this and this and this. And um, honesty there is definitely um, where faith comes in. And also when, when you step into a house, um, I'm lucky to be all over the city. When I step into, into a house, I ask God to, to go before me, to prepare for me, and uh, guide me there while I work. It's beautiful. And so, can I ask us once again, we're going to just stand together and we're going to pray for them as a couple. For Anna and Melissa, I don't know about you, I don't know if you feel, man, I've got this figured out, this God at work thing. Um, everyone's like, no, it's not me. Uh, but we are in this together. And can we say that as a commitment, we want to be the kind of church that encourages one another to be the very best of what God has called us to be for His kingdom. And can we just pray that we would hear so many incredible testimonies coming from them as a couple and just from their work, and that 8 to 5, Monday to Saturday, uh, maybe not Saturdays always, but Monday to Friday at least, that Wayne would feel that he is doing what God has called him to do. Can we do that? So let's stand together. I'm going to ask uh, Melissa just to join Wayne here in the front. And if you're comfortable with that, just stretch out your hands to them. We want to pray just the blessing and the purposes of God over them. Is that all right? Let's do that. So Jesus, we just thank you, God, for Wayne and for Melissa. And thank you that you have called them. You've not just uh, dropped them somewhere by accident, but you've called them to a spiritual, a deeply spiritual calling. 
And God, may you just invigorate Wayne in his work, God. May he feel your joy when he does what he does. And may he find you in every single moment. And may he honor you and bring glory to you. And may you just open up kingdom moments for him in every second of what he does. And might he just have this, this sense of true significance in the calling that you have called him to. And as a church, we all together say, Amen. Amen.